You know, as I was standing there, um, it kind of just came to my mind just if this is your first time in church or with us, you're probably thinking, man, these people are crazy um, because we're like singing and like lifting up our hands and like all this stuff. And so if you're new to church, you're like, what in the world are these people doing? <laughs> but, um, you know, when I just think about what Jesus did for us, like that was crazy. Like to think about what he did on the cross and how he rose from the grave and, and how much like he loved us, like that's crazy. Um, and so singing and like lifting up our hands in the way of representing like, like I surrender, like God take it. I think that's really cool. Um, but talking about crazy, um, again, something else that just kind of came to my mind when I was sitting or standing here is uh, we just got through like Thanksgiving week. Uh, and that's kind of crazy uh, for some of us. Uh, some of us got to spend time with family. Some of us did not. Um, but beyond just like the Thanksgiving week and weekend, which I actually hope you had a great time with your family if you did spend time with family. Um, some of us have just like gone through so much this week and maybe these past two weeks, like significant life changes and, and things happening in the family. And, and maybe you've seen uh, things happen in your life or another family member's life that's just crazy. Um, or maybe you've traveled a lot and some things happened while you were traveling, like all of these crazy things happening. And, and maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Misael, I've just had one of the craziest months, one of the craziest weeks, one of the craziest two weeks or whatever. And all this crazy stuff is happening. And I just, wanna, I just want to remind you of what I said last week because I just wanna give you some context of maybe why these crazy things are happening in your life. And when I say crazy, I mean the good, the bad, the ugly, and the weird, and the confusion, and all that. You see, last week I talked about how God is just doing some crazy cool stuff in you and in our church, and I'm just seeing God do so many amazing things. And it just reminds me of Matthew chapter 16, and I'm pretty sure it's verse 17, where Jesus is like standing in front of Peter, and he's standing in this place, and I've actually been there in Israel, it's really cool. He's standing in this place where it was like the most dark place in the area. It was in this super dark place where they sacrificed like human beings and animals and all this kind of stuff in this little pit. And then there's all these like pagan buildings, and Jesus is standing there, and he's looking at Peter and he goes, hey, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then he looks at this little pit where they have sacrificed like humans and children and animals and all kind of stuff, which in that time was called the gates of hell. I don't know if you knew that. But he looks at this pit and he's looking at Peter and goes, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I'm going to build. And so it's interesting to put that in mind and in context that as Christians, we're not on the defense. We're not like, hey, woo, 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 woo. As Christians and as believers and as the church, we are on the attack. And we are right there at the gates of hell because the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel, will not prevail against the church that Jesus is building. And so we're on the attack. And so as Christians, we're supposed to be right there in the gates of hell, like, come on. And you know what that means is that as Christians, we're in, we're in really close proximity of the gates of hell. And, and because of that, we have an enemy who's trying to destroy us, who's trying to kill us, who's trying to distract us of saying, man, it's not worth it. 
Or, or man, I'm going to throw all these crazy things your way to distract you from being on the attack with the gospel and sharing the gospel and making disciples and baptizing people. Man, I'm going to distract you from, from having the fruits of the Spirit. And we are in close proximity to the gates of hell. And so when these crazy things happen in our family and personal life and all this kind of stuff, even though it's really, really hard, I need to tell you it's not a surprise. I need to tell you that it's one of those things that maybe we should take as a compliment because we are right there on the attack. And the enemy's like, you know what? I'm going to try to distract another soldier. Or you know what? I'm going to try to destroy another soldier. Or you know what? I'm going to make sure all these crazy things happen to where this soldier of God says, God, what in the world, dude? To where the soldier's like, are you serious? Why is this happening right now? Out of all places, like, God, I was in your will, and God, I was doing all these good things, and, and God, come on, man. Like, I literally served yesterday. These things are seriously happening. Making us trying to question God. But in all reality, those things are happening because we are in God's will. Like, these, these crazy things, again, like I said, happen because we're on the front lines of ministry and in the front lines of, man, God, like, I'm really trying to do my best to follow you and try to do my best to be one of those with you that you said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so coming off of like a Thanksgiving week or weeks or month and, and you're just kind of thinking, man, so many crazy things are happening. I just wanted to take a moment and just kind of just say it. And just say that and just encourage you and be like, hey, those things happen, life happens. And let's take some of these things as a compliment and say, okay, God, I'm not gonna question you. I'm gonna keep going. I'm not gonna be distracted. I'm gonna keep being directed by you. And so that has nothing to do with the message today. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the sermon of today. But that was just like on my heart to just like say to you because... I just, I know some of your stories today because uh, I got that phone call and I was like, man, I'll stand in there. I was like, man, like, I just need to remind our people that we are on the attack and not the defense and we are just right there. And so those things are gonna happen. Um, and so to actually get to the message we have today, uh, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so as you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the chapters are the big numbers again, and, and the verses are the little numbers. And we're going to be in the little numbers of 17 to 19. So 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. And uh, as you turn there and as you find it, feel free to use the table of contents because uh, I have a little bit of just intro and, and background to give you. Um, so again, maybe some of you spent some time with family, some of you didn't. Maybe some of you spent time with family last week or two weeks ago or maybe a month ago. Or Here's the deal. I'm assuming and I'm hoping you spent time with your family this year, okay? So when you spent time with your family this year, I guarantee one thing. I guarantee one thing. That you probably asked this question. What in the world? Or you've probably asked this question of like, why do we do what we do? 
or why does my family do this? Or why, why does my family do it that way? And what's funny is like we don't really realize like how weird our family is until we go see another family. And it's like, oh, they don't do that. Why is that the case? Like, like my family does this and, and why does their family not do that? And uh, I actually went to Altus this past week and I got to spend time with my family. And I asked that question to myself because we're like eating and I'm seeing five salsas on the table. I'm like, why in the world do we have five salsas on the table? Like, why do we find it necessary to have five salsas, like a green, a red, a little bit more spicy? We have one that's called the white people salsa. No offense, no offense, no offense. It's the white people salsa. That's for my brothers, because they don't like spicy. And then we have the misael salsa, which don't dare eat it because, you know, um, yeah, I'm not gonna tell you what happens if you eat it. Um, But, you know, there's that. And then when I've gone to other people's houses and I just talk to them, and I see that their kids are like staying in hotels. And I'm like, oh man. I was like, if I went to go visit my family and I try to stay in a hotel, you know what they call that? Pecado, sin. They call it sin. They're like, don't you dare go and spend the night at a hotel or don't you dare go even spend the night at your aunt's house. Mom is like, you're with me. Or dad is like, you're with me. Or whoever family member with, you're like, no, you're with me. And it's like, you, you understand we're all crammed in your house, right? Like we have like three inflatables in the living room and like two inflatables in this room and like the bunk beds are full plus the swing. Like seriously, like we're all like crammed. And I'm like, okay, why, why do we do this? Why, why do we do that? I don't have a good answer for you still other than we just like to be together. But these are just kind of the things that we we see in our families and and maybe you have some of your own and you just ask, why do we do this? And so we see that in our families here, but also we see that in like the family of faith here in the church where people who are maybe like not going to church or, or people who are new to church or people who have never been explained things in the church are probably looking at us like raising our hands or singing or doing the Lord's Supper or baptism and they're going, why in the world do we do this? Or maybe there's been people in the church and maybe you're one of those who have been in the church for a long time and you've asked this question, but no one's actually taken the time to like explain it to you. And so for some of us, this might be new information, for some might be old information, but we're gonna try to answer that question of why do we do this in regards to baptism and Lord's Supper? And so I'm not gonna do any kind of like new revelation or whatever, I'm just gonna give you the Bible and hopefully give you a fresh reminder That's kind of how I want to put it. Give you a fresh reminder of of what the Bible says about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so that's going to be our focus. Um, And that's why we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, because I think this is just a really good big picture summary that just gives us a wide view of why these things are so important to our church um, and why we do it and why we take the Lord's Supper as well. And so if you're there with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 19, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
And so here we see like this just big picture summary of the, the old is gone and, and the new has come. And so I just want to give you two points today um, that are going to be pretty quick because I, I want to take the Lord's Supper together uh, during the message. Um, but the first thing that we see in regards to baptism and Lord's Supper is this, is that both of them are a significant symbol. They are a significant symbol. That's the first point. A significant symbol. And so I want to give you just a little bit of like historic Jewish context uh, a little bit because it's just so fascinating to see the context in which we have here. So when we think about baptism, again, I just want to focus on like the old has come, uh, the old has gone and the new has come. When we think about this, this historic Jewish context, baptism was actually seen in the Old Testament and given in the law of Moses as a purification ritual for the people. So where anytime you wanted to enter into a temple or anytime you touched something that was dead or anytime maybe something happened to you or you experienced something, well, what did you have to do? You had to go and, and do this, baptiz, this baptism ritual. And, and even in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, we see that you had to go all the way underwater and then come back all the way out. And I actually have a picture, uh, two pictures for you actually, um, of, of this thing. Because when I went to Israel, they showed us kind of like this old school, very ancient uh, baptism. And so I want to show you these, these two pictures first. So this is kind of the top of it where people had these steps that they would enter into to get into the baptistry, I guess you could call it. And then the second picture is actually uh, where they would go and walk in. And they would go and submerge themselves all the way in or immerse themselves all the way in and then come back out. And so when we see that, it's actually really interesting that this is a practice that even the Jewish people and the people of Israel would do because it was in the law of Moses. Um, and then even in the New Testament, when we see this word baptism, which is baptizo, uh, that whole word in itself literally means immersion. Immersion of the whole body all the way in and then all the way out. And so even in the, in the Old Testament and the people of Israel, uh, this was just such a beautiful representation of cleansing, of being washed, of, of going in with the old and coming out with the new. And so we just see kind of this historic symbol for the people of Israel, uh, even with these pictures. But then we see like a biblical symbol that's super significant for us as well because then you have Jesus arrive on the scene. And again, Jesus is the same God who gave the law of Moses. And what Jesus does is he gives us like deeper and richer meaning to what baptism is. Because the people of the Old Testament had to just continuously wash themselves and wash themselves and make sacrifices and make sacrifices. And then you have Jesus. And then we see here in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And it says this, this is, this is Peter talking. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's just this interesting crossover where you have Jesus now restoring all things and, and, and being the one who kind of redefines what baptism is because, again, the Jewish people had to just continuously do the cleansing. And now Jesus is the one standing here and being crucified and raised from the grave from the dead. And he's like, hey, um, I'm the one who now cleanses you. I'm the one who now washes you clean. I'm, I'm the one who now has, has broken my body and shed my blood for you. Well, man, this baptism 
It's an act of obedience. This baptism is this physical representation of what I've done for you spiritually. Where now, all you have to do is accept me and I will make you clean. And the baptism now is that representation spiritually of going in and becoming a new creation. Just like we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, where it says the, we are new creations, that the old has gone and the new is here, that God has reconciled himself uh, to us. And so that's what we see here. And, and what I love is that Romans chapter 6, verse 4, gives us this beautiful picture of what baptism is. It says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So again, this baptism represents us being like buried with him and then raised to new life. Um, and what's so cool is that Jesus doesn't just like tell us to do this, but like he did it himself. Jesus was baptized himself and saying, hey, let me just, let me give you a little example here of what this looks like. And he is baptized himself. And so we see that with baptism. And then I just want to kind of turn our face a little bit to the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is so fascinating to me again because I want you to think about all the covenants that God made in the Old Testament. Every time that God made a covenant with his people, he gave them a symbol. He gave them a sign. So I want you to think about Noah. God makes this covenant, this promise with Noah, and then God gives them a symbol, a sign with the rainbow. And then you have Abraham, who, who God makes a covenant with, with Abraham, and, and God again gives him a sign, gives him a symbol with his son, and then the ram. He gives them these signs. And then I want you to think about Israel again. So Israel's in Egypt, and, and God makes a covenant and a promise with them, and he saves them, and then he gives them a sign. He gives them a symbol, which was actually the Passover meal. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, which it's just literally super cool how all of this happened. In Exodus chapter 12, you see where God gives um, this command to them of putting the blood on, on the doors and, and sacrifices and what to eat uh, to where the people of Israel don't die. And then he says, have this kind of festival to always remember what I have done. And so you have this Passover meal that the people of Israel have all the time to remember what, G, what, what God did uh, in, in Egypt to save them. And what's interesting about the Passover meal is that the meal itself is symbolic, but then like every little piece of the meal is symbolic too. Like the amount of bread, there's like three pieces of bread, which signifies like the people of Israel and then, and then God. And it's just like this amazing, amazing thing. And then every single thing on the table symbolizes something. So there's so much symbolism that says, hey, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus. Um, and again, I've, I've been able to go to Israel and the people there the Jew, in the Jewish culture, they still celebrate this meal and they call it Shabbat. Uh, and so every Friday they have this like Shabbat dinner and like, it's like this whole spread. It's super cool. And uh, I want you to think of that whole spread and, and think of this Passover meal. And I want you to think about Jesus. So Jesus arrives on the scene again. And what's so interesting is at that time of Passover, that, that's when Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to die, and he does. That time of Passover is when Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to rise from the dead, and he does. But right before he does that, he's, he's sitting with the disciples. And, and now, instead of saying, hey, remember the Exodus, he's saying, hey, remember me. Remember me. And so again, we, we see this, this physical representation of something that Jesus was going to do. And then now we have this physical representation of what Jesus did. 
And so I want to remind you of what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says. Verses 23 and 26, it says this. For I received from the Lord what, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on that night, he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, before us, do this in remembrance of the Exodus. And now Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, this physical representation that we can physically taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to think about this. Think about how in Genesis, you have this garden of Eden and you have Adam and Eve and they're walking around and you have this serpent. And what does a serpent do? The serpent looks at Eve and says, hey, look, taste and see. That's what she does. Sin comes into the world. Then you have Jesus arrives on the scene, says this, and Jesus says, look, taste and see. And what happens? He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. And so it's interesting to see that connection and and that symbolism all throughout the Bible and how it's just connected. Um, And so you might be, you know, sitting here and you might be saying, Misad, like, what's so cool or what's so important about a symbol? Okay, well, let me make this super personal for us. Who's, who's married in the room? Let me see. Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Who's married in the room? Let me see. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on someone who you guys m- maybe not know. So I'm going to have you guys come on stage. Can I do that? Can I have you guys come on stage? Come on, my guy. Come on. It's too late. It's too late. I asked, them, I asked them how many years they've been married, and they told me, I actually need both of you for this. Come on, my guy. Please. Okay, what if I have you stand in the shadow and not in the spotlight? All right, because this, this will only work if I have two of you. So they told me that in a month, they'll be 32 years married, right? Okay, okay, here. You can stand right here. That'd be amazing. I didn't tell them I was doing this. I just said, hey, how many years have you been married? And they're like, ah, oh, 32. And I was like, ah, oh, great. You have no idea what I'm about to do. That's awesome. Okay, so why, why are symbols so important, right? So let me see your wedding rings real quick. Let me see. Let me look at them. Okay. Tattoo. Oh, this is, oh, this will still work. This will still work. That's right. Man, tattoo, that's awesome. I didn't think about that. Okay, so let's pretend he has a ring on, like a physical one. Mm. All right. My illustration's about to go up. Just pretend, okay? You're a smart man. This actually might be better. I don't know. Okay. So I just want you to imagine for a second, right, that you took your wedding rings off for six months. Okay. So let me see. Let me take it off. So imagine you take your wedding ring off for six months. And for six months, you, you look at him and you go, hey, I love you, but I just don't really want to wear this ring. And, and you have a tattoo too, so we're going to pretend like that's not there. Okay. And you say for six months, hey, I love you, but I just really don't want to wear this ring. For six months. Imagine for six months, you go, I love you, I don't want to wear this ring, but also I don't really want to give you a hug. And then imagine for, for six months, hey, I love you, I, I don't really want to wear this ring, give you a hug, or even give you a kiss. Like, I don't even want to give you a kiss anymore. Hey, I love you, but I don't want to wear this ring or, or give you a hug or, or give you a kiss. And 
Not even a high five. Like, not even gonna give you a high five. What would you do? Like, how would that feel like? What would it be like to take away those, those physical symbols that represent something that's intangible, the love, the commitment, the promise? Well, what happens if you, if you take away the, the symbol that in the good, the bad, the ugly, the sickness, the rich, the poor, the whatever, like you lost a leg kind of love, that reminds you, you know what? I made a commitment and a promise. You take away those, you take away those things and you're like, well, do they really love me? He does, they don't want to wear that ring I gave them or they don't want to give me a high five or a hug or a kiss. Like none of those physical things that represent the love that we have and the promise that we made. And what's so cool is that you guys do have a tattoo. So I'm going to use that as an illustration. And what's so cool is that this tattoo, you've kind of made this thing where it's like, you know what? I want to always remember the promise that I've made. Because sometimes that, that ring, that, that physical stuff, one day it's going to be lost. Hopefully not. But one day it's going to be lost. Or one day it's going to deteriorate. Or one day it's going to be, you know. But the commitment you guys have, that, that's what's special. And what's so cool is like when someone's baptized, and, and I'll have you guys sit down, so thank you so much. You guys are so brave. Woo, you're so brave. Thank you. Man, I need to think about getting a tattoo like that one day. I never thought about that. But what's so cool is like when it comes to baptism, like the water is not magical or special. It's probably really dirty. And when it comes to the Lord's Supper, like, like the juice or the wine or the crackers or the bread, it's not magical. It probably doesn't taste very good. Because you know, but the thing is, is like, what does those physical things represent? What do those things remind us of? And it's just such a beautiful thing. And so we see that symbols are so significant. And so we see these, these significant symbols in scripture that remind us of, of who Jesus is, what he did for us, and how God has kept his promise. And time and time again, God has kept his promise. And so the second thing I want you to see from the scripture is not just a significant symbol, but a significant step. A significant step. So again, in verse 19, it says this, that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's so cool is that Jesus came to restore all people and, and he's the one who made the first step to say, hey, I love you. Jesus was the first one who made that first step and said, hey, I'm committed to you. Will you be committed to me? Jesus is that first one who says, hey, man, I'm going I'm to tattoo my finger, you know. Will you do the same? And so we, we have this responsibility to take this significant step because when you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see so many people focus on the go, which is awesome. But this command of Jesus is saying, if you don't go, you're sinning. If you don't make disciples, you're sinning. If you're not making disciples of all nations, you're sinning. If you're not going and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're sinning. And I look at that and I'm like, well, I don't want to sin. 
So I want to walk in obedience to the Lord. So, so I want to be able to do that. And I want other people to come and take that step of obedience and say, hey, let's obey God together and, and let's see you be baptized. But again, this baptism has to happen the right way. Immersion, underwater. This baptism has to come after you place your faith and trust in Jesus because it's first believing and repenting and then being baptized. Because in being baptized, you're proclaiming to the whole world what God has done for you. You're proclaiming to the whole world and the people in front of you that the old has gone and the new has come. And then we see the Lord's Supper. And what's so interesting about the Lord's Supper is that it's this participation in the church. It's this participation in being a part of the bride of Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it says this. Is, is not the cup of blessing or thanksgiving, which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing or participation in the body of Christ? And so it's these questions of like, is, is this not a way that we can participate in being believers and being a family? Like, is this not a way that we can remember how, how Jesus literally gave his life for us? And so whenever we take the Lord's Supper, we're participating in the body of Christ. We're, we're proclaiming the gospel to each other. We recognize and we are recognizing our unworthiness before a holy God. And we take it and we self-examine and we go, yeah, God, I'm just really not that cool. I'm really not that good, but you are. And then we're celebrating until Jesus returns. And we celebrate and we celebrate and we celebrate. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we celebrate together as believers the amazing thing that he has done. And so what I want to do is I want us to go ahead and just stand up together and stretch our legs a little bit. And I, and I want to pray before we get up and, and we take the Lord's Supper. And, and if you're someone who, who can't really get up or walk, man, we have people who can um, <clears throat> take the Lord's Supper to you. Um, but as I pray, I'm going to have the deacons come up um, because I think this is just such a cool moment together. Um, because Jesus literally said, hey, do this in remembrance of me, like literally as, as often as you can. And how much is often? Well, it's just often. I don't know how often. It's just often. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll come and step and take the Lord's Supper together. Lord, in this moment, thank you so much because we just remember how you have made a new covenant, a new promise to us. A new promise that we can find life in you, that we can find restoration in you that you have come to reconcile us, which is this fancy word to say, man, you've come to just make us better and new. And so, Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room who, who doesn't know you, uh, Lord, I pray that they would recognize how you have been the first one to love them. You've been the first one to make a commitment of saying, man, I want to walk with you and, and be with you. Lord, I pray for all the believers in the room that they would not become numb to the Lord's Supper, that they would not become numb to the gospel. Lord, that they would recognize just how incredible it is that you, the Lord of all, that you came and you literally said, hey, you look, you taste, you see that the Lord is good. Because before, that's what you did and sin came into the world, but now you're doing it now, recognizing that I have come to overcome sin, to overcome death, to overcome anxiety, to overcome depression, to overcome all of these things. 
So Lord, I pray that we would be a people who don't become numb to to your love and to your grace and, and how we get to participate in that. So God, we, we're just so thankful. We're so thankful. And we come to the table of, with thanksgiving and, and blessing your name. And Lord, I, I just pray that if there's anyone here who has gone through just such a hard time, Lord, that taking the Lord's Supper would be a physical moment for them to go, hey, God hasn't left me. God hasn't walked away. God continues to keep his promise. I pray that that would be the case as we take the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.